0: Sandoz and the Sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Tuesday, Jay Sandoz, Mike Gallagher, another edition of Sandos and the Sidekick, and we are talking all things Southern Conference basketball tournament time on the men's side, the women's side. Lots to talk about, lot to get through. It's brackets upon brackets. Do we love brackets?
1: I mean, it's the time of year to love brackets. If you don't love brackets in March, you're never going to love them, and so now is the time to dive deep. And I'd like to dive deep on both the men and the women, but I'd also like to talk about all team, awards, so on and so forth. I don't think, as of when we're taping this, either of the all teams are out, or I should say all-conference teams, not all teams, but all of the all-conference teams, I believe, are over the next, what, 24 hours they're coming out?
0: Yes, yeah, so I believe the women like come out Tuesday, you know, like Tuesday afternoon, and I think the men are Wednesday, and so we just don't have, uh, with the games coming up and everything, don't have time to wait on the official. No. I'm sure we can crush it later. This is also... Uh, a part of the segment of the show where Mike gets really fired up over all conference voting, all that, and Absolutely. I could—I don't—I don't—I don't get fired up. I, I don't care as much. There are a few things that, if it's egregiously an outlier, you get me fired up. But it has to be an egregious outlier. For me I get, to get fired. You not, get fired up. For I don't know, I'm I'm, I'm sure somehow Robert Riddles on this all conference team. If it's not support.
1: crushing a referee, you don't care. I get it. You that's fair. Brown that's both. fair. Yeah, okay. That's right. okay. No that's referee all conference teams,
0: unfortunately for you. I, no, I can give you some. You hey, maybe I'll make that list. You go.
1: Yeah, I feel like you probably could, and there wouldn't be too many people on it. I would love to see Kevin Brown. I mean, Tim
0: Gaddis <laughs> is still on it, <laughs>
1: just for Gattis. throwing out
0: Wesley Miller three years ago or whatever it was.
1: Okay, uh, Coach of the Year. I said it a couple of shows ago. If Bucky McMillan and the Stanford Bulldogs got one of the two. Against Furman or Chattanooga, I was voting Bucky McMillan, Coach of the Year. They got one. Bucky McMillan's my Coach of the Year. Number two, obviously, Lamont Paris. Uh,
0: Yes, I agree with both of those. I think Bucky, by far, when he was 10th place last year, picked ninth, finishes third, I, I think it's hands down Bucky McMillan. For
1: me, it's the coach that outperforms their expectation, as you just referenced. Like Obviously, Chattanooga came in as the conference favorite, and props to them for getting it done. They definitely did. With kind of a weird year, and we'll talk about it more later, but they didn't really have their full complement of players for quite some time in conference play and still were able to take the championship. Uh, All-freshman team. My freshman of the year and SoCon John is going to crush me because I believe he voted Honor Huff. Honor Huff is my number two. I want Jason Roach because for the Citadel, he is absolutely the best at what he does in the league, one of the most lethal shooters in the entire country. And watching what he's able to do shooting the basketball, it just was so impressive. I couldn't stop myself.
0: I think Huff came on strong late. Uh, Roach did it, I think, the whole season. Yep. I, mean, I mean, his first game out of the gate, his first collegiate game was, what, 27 at Pittsburgh. They knock off Pittsburgh in his first ever collegiate basketball game from high school the previous year to 27 against an ACC team. Then he goes 23 the next night. So he got off to a hot start. I think he's got six-seven. 20-point games on the season. Huff really has come on strong. I think I would agree with you. I would go Roach, then Huff my one-two.
1: I don't completely blame anybody that votes Huff because especially late with Jake Stevens out, they have obviously needed somebody else aside from Camden Kerfman, and he has been that guy. rest of my all-conference team uh, for the freshman, uh, Mo Osser. I mean, there's no question. Rock solid. Um, I think that he belongs in a freshman of the year conversation in a lot of years. It was just these two were, I think, that much better than the rest of the class. But Moab's obviously got a very bright future. Then Marcus Banks for Western Carolina and uh, Peaks for Furman. I know some people went Jordan Jones for Mercer, but he didn't play like the first third of the year. Right. It, it, it took
0: him Once Alvarez got hurt, right. he kind of got time. And then he actually got a few starts. Had a 20-pointer somewhere down the road, but yes, Uh, I I think he is probably hamstrung because he didn't see as many games.
1: Also, Con, first team for me and my player of the year, I think you'll probably agree, it's in a bit of a runaway because it's the best player on the best team, and he happens to also have the most prolific stats in the league. Sometimes you're stuck in that situation where it's a very balanced, top-of-the-league team where you could go with any of four guys. This guy's clear-cut, number one on the best team, Malik Smith.
0: You know, it pains me to say that, but he he, by far, doing – some statistical work yesterday uh, in preparation for Saturday's game, then it, it was hands down because then did you just start jotting down 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 12th, 10th, 9th. I mean, just he was in so many statistical categories. And the fact that he's such a great rebounder at six foot four. 6'4", uh, you know, then you add in the assists, this is the turnovers. I mean, his field goal percentage for a guy that – you know, take some high-volume shots, and still has a top-10 in football. percent. I mean, it, to me, it. it I, I, know there are a lot of people that are like, well, well, look at Jake Stevens. I mean, now he's gone. VMI is this, and I'm not knocking Jake Stevens. I think he has probably had the best and turnarounds again. Not the the best word, but I guess progression over a career. And also helped, he grew about four inches. I think he started at six 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 seven. Uh, now was he about 6'11", give or take. So, um, And put on like 70 pounds. Yeah, and honestly just got better and better as, you know, more skilled. And certainly his IQ and acumen I, I think is all there. But I think Malachi Smith deserves the award. I think he just uh, is too good not to give that award to
1: him. You hit it with the efficiency piece. For a guy to shoot 51% from the floor when you took 143s, During the regular season I mean guards don't just do that I think there's like 13 guards in the country That are qualifiers That have taken enough shots and scored enough points That are shooting above 50% So that's not mid-major level, that's not SOCON That's the entire country, he's really impressive Outside of him, I did go Jake Stevens Number 2 on that list And of course the top 5 go for the uh, All SOCON first team Quez Glover, I mean for the first half of the season I think there were a lot of people convinced And this was before Sanford really got on their hot streak that Glover was the best player in the Southern Conference. Having seen him up close and watching how he defends, the ferocity with which he gets in guys' grill and does not let them get comfortable, and then obviously the offensive end speaks for itself. I don't hate that take, and if you had him as player of the year in a lot of other years, I think you would have a good argument. I just think Malachi was that much better. Uh, But Quez is going to be, I think, at some point, especially if Sanford performs like they have this year, a player of the year in this league over the next couple of years.
0: Yeah, I I think you kind of knew him coming down a level was going to help him. I would be lying if I thought it would help him that much. He'd be that dominant. And I know there are plenty of people in the Knoxville area that saw him play high school basketball that certainly were sold on what a high-level caliber athlete that he was. And it, the amazing thing is he does it with really not shooting threes. I know it will take a couple of games, but it's really that, like, pull-up 18-, 19-foot jumper that, you know, a lot of people discourage you from taking anymore, right? It's either layup or three, right? It's sort of the matrix nowadays, you, you, the analytics. you got to get to the rim. you got to get to the free throw line. You shoot a three. Do not take a 15-, 18-foot jumper. It's dumbest shot in America. But he averaged, like, you know, I don't know, 16-, 17 points, taking 17-foot jump shots and hitting – A lot of them and I think the team the one thing I think that has made Sanford so much better is how they feed off his energy one I think Logan Dye as he came on during the year was certainly I think a shock and and not to discount what Marshall and some of the other cats have done for Sanford but I think Quez had started with him I think getting him and kind of feeding off his energy and him being able to make plays and make plays late in the game I think has been one of the biggest difference for Sanford so I think to me So far, who you said, I believe, are no doubters.
1: And I think the next two you'd probably agree as well. Jalen Sloss, and and you've talked about it for the last four to six weeks, affecting the game in so many ways, top ten in the conference in a myriad of statistics in really every aspect, uh, steals, blocks, obviously scoring, rebounding, just doing everything for Furman and in a bit of an unexpected manner not to say that he wasn't capable but just not knowing what Furman was going to be this year when he had Noah Gurley transfer out he's really filled those shoes and then some have him on the first team and also the preseason player of the year Hayden Brown and that to me was a pretty clear cut top five and we'll get to the second team here in a second but I can just tell you the first player on my second team was BJ Mack and you know I really like BJ Mack as a player but to me there's a pretty Obvious line drawn between the number five on the first team and the first and the second team.
0: I I think also this year the emergence of like post players because normally you look at the all southern conference team and let's just take all three teams. Normally there's 12 guards, and I guess you know some are well, he's a wing, whatever, he's a guard. Okay, so I, I think that's the the changes you're seeing Hayden Brown post player, Jake Stevens post player, BJ Mack is not traditional post player but he's a post player.
1: Swassen another ca-
0: yeah, I, I forgot Slos so I, I think that shows a little bit of change because the the league is so heavy on three, so heavy on the guards. I think the SoCon is still first in the nation in three pointers attempted made as a league in the nation. So that being said, you expect a lot more guards to be there, but you look at the numbers, I think that's a false sense of security that this is just a guard heavy three point shooting league only. All those guys can take threes and hit threes. All of them have uh, the post players that you have on your first team that I am 100% on board with. Those are my five uh, first teamers. But I think that's the interesting part this year looking at it is the amount of post players and even, again, your first second team, B.J. Uh, Mac. I think that's another thing just looking at sort of the post players and how even at this level they are affecting the game.
1: First two on my second team, also post players, B.J. Mack, and then Felipe Hase for Mercer specifically. Hase just with what he's had to do <clears throat> in the second half of the year. You know, Neftali Alvarez came back for a couple of games then had to go out again with not on the list lower body injury. No, unfortunately, Neftali didn't make it. I tried okay. to find I, no, I, I, know you did. Did, I know you did. He, uh, was just the all-injured team. Is that what you've yeah, got him right. on? Well, I'll find a way to give him some kind of award. There's no question. So outside of those two, um, and this is where I think we'll probably – come into a little bit of conflict but honestly if you're talking second third team I think these guys all deserve to be awarded if we get towards the end of the third team and you're like oh I really think this guy should have been in there ahead of whoever you put on the team feel free to step in but Ladarius Brewer we get to see him all the time I don't think there's any buck bias there I expected him to be a first teamer this year Um, and the year just didn't go how ETSU expected I think Ladarius kind of came and went there for a a little bit of time as he was trying to adjust to a new role and as the roster was in flux and as he was just trying to I think figure out what he was going to be and what he could do to help the team this year he is on my second team so is David Sloan and then finally uh, let's see Mike Bothwell for Furman and, and I think Mike Bothwell is someone that again could be in another year a first-teamer um, but because of how things have played out with his team where Jalen Slosson ended up being more of the do-everything guy Um his stats a little bit more impressive to me. Uh, that's my second team. And then third team, uh, you look at David Jean-Baptiste, you could have a subpar year if you're David Jean-Baptiste this season. I'd still probably put him on here because at some point, these become a little bit of career-type uh, achievements, accomplishments, and uh, honors, and he obviously over his career, and specifically this season, um, has done a ton for that team. So very deserving of being on the team. Jordan King I had on the third team as well, so all three – bucks um that were nominated i don't believe ty was um but those three make it for me and then stephen clark i know you don't like that pick but i just think as a big what he was able to do leads the league in blocks uh, over 100 assists as well and then could score a bit too for the citadel um at number uh, two going from 15 to one trey Bonham for vmi and then uh, my uh, final on the 15 is jason roach anybody i forgot that's glaring outside of, of course, I know you want Alex Hunter on every team that we put together on
0: this. <laughs> No, you know, it's funny, and, and it's sort of like uh, – you know, I'm a huge fan of Alex Hunter. Exactly, I am, I am. But I I just couldn't this year. I looked at the numbers, and he was asked to do more. Um, and his, assist, his turnover ratio is still there, but he was asked to do more. But Slosson just came. I mean, that was a guy – I mean, and I know Furman's system, it's reliant on sort of that Princeton style where you need a guy to that's – a a big, and they run the offense through. I just didn't see Slosson doing everything that he did, and when he does that, something's got to suffer. And Hunter honestly went through about a six-game stretch where he really just kind of struggled. So, uh, and it was league play. It was when he went on the lose streak. Uh, everything there. So, yes, believe it or not, I did not have Alex Hunter on there. I mean, again, you you get the once you get past ten. I don't know why SoCon does three, but once you get past ten, to me, there's a, you could make an argument, I think, for five or six guys that you left off the list that you probably could make a list. I don't know that there's a glaring well, let person. Me write it down. let me okay. write it
1: down, and I'll give you the rest of the players that were nominated that didn't make my team. Hunter, Conley Garrison who ETSU, unfortunately, knows very well after the like million points scored in the second half.
0: Well, if he's uh, just played ETSU, against ETSU, then yes, he <laughs> would be.
1: Jalen Johnson, that was one that gave me a second thought simply because he kind of found himself this year, right, and it's for a Mercer team that seemed like they were emerging but with a bad finish, and he kind of lagged at the end, too, didn't make it. James Glisson, the third for Mercer, Keyshawn Langley, Kobe Langley, Demonte Buckingham, Baz Lida, and Caleb Hunter for UNCG. Mike Jones was not shy and nominated.
0: Well, and then I think... Buckingham, again, had a little bit of injury, wasn't able to go. He got off to a hot start. I mean, the problem with that is people generally look at offensive numbers. And UNCG led the league in defense, and to do that, they didn't score a lot either. So I think sometimes when you're a defense-oriented team, you get hosed in something like this. So Buckingham would have been the one, if you had to pick somebody off Greensboro, I think he was the no-doubter because he led the team in points and rebounds.
1: A couple of guys that – Definitely would have been included on my picks, at least. And keep in mind, these are not official. Official will come out tomorrow. But Logan Dye, had he not missed the first five weeks with a broken hand, he's absolutely on my team because he was really dynamic for a lot of the season and was one of the big reasons, along with Jermaine Marshall for Sanford, for that turnaround for Sanford when they started to play more, yes, fast still, but a little bit inside out, like wanted to go and pound the ball inside and had success. In the paint and Silvio De Sousa, I mean, you don't miss three weeks in league play. Um, just in the simple fact that he seemed to be the piece that pushed the championship team to that title. Obviously, Smith, Gene Baptiste, and Darius Banks, who also was nominated, who uh, didn't come close to making my teams, but I think is a phenomenal. Role Aj player. Caldwell wasn't. Aj Caldwell was not No, no, no. I know you love that as well. Uh, but he does not make my team, but certainly someone very important to Chattanooga, but DeSosa being that piece that pushed the title team over the top definitely would have made it, but missed three weeks there Camden Kerfman just didn't quite do enough for me, kind of a one-tool guy obviously can shoot it at a very high clip Um, but VMI fell off late uh, without Jake Stevens, and then Western Carolina's Nick Robinson, Uh, Wofford, Max Klesmet, I can see an argument there, and then Ryan Larson
0: yeah, I think, you know, like I said, I, I think you can make an argument for Klezman. I think You look at Buckingham, again, I think he gets hampered because, I mean, you could do, to me, I don't, again, you get more fired up about this. I think the first 10 guys, I don't know why, and not every league does three. I think it's pretty easy to get to 10. I think when you get to 11 through 15, I think it gets a little bit murky, and I would say that about most leagues. Um, I think you could always have the argument over who's the last first-teamer and the first-second-teamer and could you flip-flop that. But generally speaking, the first five is almost consensus, except for maybe the fifth guy. But usually the first four or five is n- not a big deal. Then usually the second five is like, okay, there, you know, maybe one of those guys out of the ten you could get a disagreement. But once you get to the third team, I, I think there's so many variables there. Um, I just don't get that fired up. I would not have Clark. I could – and you could throw a dart at a few others and throw one there. But other than that, I mean, I think you got as close a, and will be you know, probably 80% clip, I would say, correct.
1: I hate when we even semi-agree, so this is not fun for me. But let's move on from our awards and teams and hopefully disagree more when we talk bracket blowout. Let's talk with the men first. We'll do women's awards and bracket blowout after our one break today because this is an all-so-kind show, play-in games and we'll talk Bucks first with the women. Let's do it with the men, too. Just generally, your thoughts on the team. Haven't had a year like this in forever, 35 years as a matter of fact. Have you ever covered a season like this for this program? Not necessarily in the fact of the wins and losses, but just how it's played out. One of the beautiful things, I think, about sports in general is that you're always in for something new, and it seemed like the Bucks were again this year. Yeah,
0: it's called 2019 football, uh, but you're talking basketball. So, um, you know, I've been a part of a couple of – 10-win teams, uh, One in 2005, coming off back-to-back uh, tournaments. It was actually the year I got back. I got back, I think, I uh, got back from Iraq, ended up uh, taking, a I don't know, like seven days off and jumped in like three games into the season because I thought, hey, we went back-to-back, we going to third and just injuries, everything, just a 10-win 10, 10 season. Now, the Bucks bounced back the next year. It was the last year in the Southern Conference before they went the Atlantic Sun. And Bucks were also in sort of that de facto 8-9 game. Now, it was different because it was north-south in the way it was uh, worded. I think ETSU was the number five north team versus the number four south team or whatever that was back then. The other season was the one we talked about, the 20, was that 12-13, where we went to North Carolina with just literally seven guys. And it was the first time ever I felt like the – a little one A school. Again, I felt like I was in a movie Hoosiers because you look at the the eight A powerhouse. It was North Carolina. they had about forty guys go through layup lines, and each issue literally had seven. I mean, it was one of those deals. It was almost comical. Um, and again, we talked about that because that was a game when they scored twelve points in the first half, and when they got the double figures, they got a standing ovation from the Dean Dome as a, <laughs> the biggest sign of disrespect I think you could ever have. Yes. So, uh, and that was a ten win team as well. So. Those were, But they're all a little different. They all had injuries or defections or whatever. But this is by far not the the, the worst that I have ever witnessed was the 96-97, which was the first team of Ed DeCellis, which was a seven-win team, in which they basically did what IUPUI did, had an open tryout and got Gabe Lissicki to walk on and eventually earn a scholarship. Um, and they had seven guys and had seven wins. And I mean, just it was a car wreck that was – Academic casualties. It was just injuries. I mean, it was one of the things you can't make up. And there has, and you look at it, a couple injuries have taken guys out of the rotation. You've looked at a couple defections, guys that left the team, however you want to word it. Then, you know, it's everything is all different. I will say this this team had more tough losses than those teams. Those teams got just absolutely blew out. I mean, 25, 20 point blowout losses. So this one is very much different because ETSU, again, I know would have, should have, could have, but you know when they lost the six to seven, if they go six and one instead of one and six, they're tied for second.
1: Or even split the difference and say they go three and four. Yeah, four they're, and three.
0: Uh, uh, they're they're in a the four five game.
1: Team could very easily be eleven and seven instead of seven.
0: So, uh, you know, it, it's I, I'm not as da- – I know a lot of fans, and, and trust me, they've sent the frustrations of this and that. But I'm like, uh, maybe don't remember those teams. like they, And people have compared them to those teams. I'm like, that, those aren't even close. Just right. go look. And, yes, if you're just going strictly record, I get it. But even that, ETSU has more wins. And they have a Power 5 win. So – and they've beaten everybody in the league except for, what, Chattanooga and Wofford, right? They've beaten everybody in the league except for two teams on their side of the bracket, which they could avenge uh, as we get into the bracket breakdown.
1: First game of the entire tournament is the Bucks and the Bulldogs. The Citadel, the opponent got absolutely smashed by Furman in the final game of the year. Everybody was hitting shots for the Paladins one of those days. Pretty vintage Furman. The Citadel hit 6 of 26 threes, 23%. Not good enough with how they play. Five of their six wins in league play were by five or less. It seems like There's got to be kind of a special set of circumstances that need to unfold for them to win. Things need to be exactly how they need them. There's not a ton of room for error, quite honestly, evidenced by the fact that they hit 11 threes in the first half against the Bucs a couple of weeks back and were somehow trailing by two at the break. If you're the Citadel, and I know that one of their wins was against ETSU this year, but looking at their results as a whole during conference play, how do you navigate this so you don't have to be pretty flawless in order to win a game.
0: Uh, great question. Um, the one thing for the Citadel, I, I think the inconsistency from a couple of guys, like Roach you've mentioned about, he can go bonkers and then he disappears. Tyler Moff's a guy that just take the two ETSU games, yeah. zero points, and he goes for 20. And so I, I think the biggest problem for the Citadel is when they're when they're clicking – And, I mean, they can throw 117 on the board, and it's going to be tough to beat them because they just barrage of threes and, you know, Brown going, Hayden Brown going to the rim. Stephen Clark will be able to score inside, and all of a sudden, every player on the roster is knocking down threes. So, you know, if they could get four, five, you know, sort of like how we talk about ETS who needs four double digit scores in some form or fashion, right? They got six guys that are playing. All six guys can go for double figures. Now, it's not going to work out that way, but they can get four guys in double figures. They're going to win a lot of basketball games, and when they haven't got four guys in double figures, they've not won a lot of basketball games. For the Citadel, they just need consistently consistency. I think's the word to from um, more players than Hayden Brown, and Hayden Brown has been the guy there. And you look at Roach's overall games, but I mean, he's had some single digits in there. That you know, he's had some one for seven days, and you know, Moff's had a couple of you know three and four pointers. Besides the fact that he didn't score against DTSU. You know, they've not gotten a lot uh, that they thought they would get out of Maine or the transfer from Colgate. So, uh, I just think for the Citadel, they need a little more consistency. It's amazing. They play so tough, but they give up a ton of t- uh, points in the paint. And and to me, that was the biggest difference kind of defensively for them. Now, I know they didn't do any of the junk defenses this year. We've seen in the past where they do the triangle and two, the box and one, the three-eye or whatever the heck that thing's called that they invented – uh, you know, at one point I think they did a one-man zone with four. I, it's really <laughs> incredible the different junk defenses they came up with. They really went a lot of man. And for a while there, you know, they, they were able to kind of work through it. But the problem is just, I mean, ETSU was able to take advantage of it. 42 to 20 points in a paint in the ETSU win. And then ETSU got to the free throw line, 18 of 20, which ETSU's doing a better job to get to the free throw line. But for me, the biggest issue for the Citadel this season is just the scoring consistency that they are lacking from other people than Hayden Brown, and again, I know Roach has been a, a pretty solid number two, but he's disappeared in some games as well.
1: If you're etsu, a couple of things. Desmond Oliver last night said on the etsu Radio Coaches Show, Cordell Charles, Charlie Weber are done for the season, so they will not play in the tournament no matter how far the Bucks make it. So you have Six, and maybe on a given day, seven, if you're going to play Matt Nunez at 6'10", 240 pounds, if you need some support inside, you wouldn't think the Citadel would be that game just with how fast they play, how fast they want to get up and down the court. Coach Oliver has talked about how he's changed his offensive system, and you you can see it, right, especially in the second half. You do want to slow the game down a little bit and get to the line and work in you know those 30-second breaks that almost act as – extra timeouts, in a sense, to be able to keep your guys relatively fresh, get to the finish line. It worked against Chattanooga. They really were resilient late and came back after being down 20 to the mocks, uh, didn't show any signs of being tired. Are there more things that ETSU can do, especially in this situation? You don't have to win three in three days. It looked like that's how it was going to be for the mocks. You have to win four in four in order to get to the NCAA tournament now, so it seems like an impossible task considering you have six or seven and that much basketball and high-level game action basketball in a four-day span, are there more things you can do? Do you have to change your style a little bit more just to make sure that you can stand up the next morning and go play more basketball?
0: You know, that's a brilliant question that I don't have the answer for. I think the one thing you would do is as soon as the game is over, you know, you've got to get the guys off their feet. You know, you're not doing extra shoot-around. We've seen, um, you know, uh, Actually, Coach Barto and Coach Forbes would go find a high school gym to get extra shoot-around in, to get shots up, to go through walkthroughs. You know, I think you basically find a big ballroom uh, at the hotel you're staying at or a meeting room, and you do you just put some tape on the floor and say, "All right, guys, let's walk through this for a few minutes." All right, now you got to get off your feet. There is something to be said, and it's happened. Uh, somebody sent a stat to me. It's like seven of the last nine years that the eight, nine, seven, ten have won. The next day. So they get hot on day one. The higher seeded one or two seed then tend to struggle to get going. <laughs> and so then um, they're able to get the second win. And then, you know, they're playing with house money. And the last two years, don't forget the seven seed has played four straight days. They've played in the championship game. True. So th- there is something to be said that the um, eight, nine, seven, ten winner has some momentum even on a short turnaround. Now, traditionally, it's a little easier for the 7-10 because they play the next night, where in the 8-9 game, you're turning around and playing at noon. And so I think that's the biggest difference. But 8-9 has knocked off one over the last several years, too. So,
1: Bucks probably wish they could face Furman in their struggles in March. Instead, it would be Chattanooga in round two. And if we're talking about pace and ETSU doing more things to try and keep their legs fresh, They've been best this year when they've scored 80 or more points. 7-1 and one when they score 80 or more. Obviously, it's tough to get to 80 when you're playing a bit slower. Citadel, familiar with this round. Bucks are not. They've been in the play-in every year since the Bucks have. Been back in the SOCON, have the Bulldogs. They've won three times. ETSU has won three times in a single postseason before. So, obviously, some differing backgrounds, history on ETSU's side. Mercer and Western Carolina, the game after ETSU and the Citadel, the 7-10. We know, as you talked about, the 7-seed has made the tournament final back-to-back years last year. It was Mercer. Have hit a rough patch, though, lost six of their final eight. My guy, Neftali Alvarez, has played just twice in the last two and a half months. Kamar Robertson missed a little bit of time in February, but has returned. Without Alvarez, quiet finish to the year from Jalen Johnson. It's not the outlook, I think, that Mercer had last year. They got hot because they did have their full complement of players. This season, they've kind of scuffled to the finish line. And I'm not saying I'm predicting an upset, and we'll go over brackets a little bit later on. But if you're going to pick a team from the bottom four to go and do it this year, it seems like the Bears may be a long shot.
0: Yeah, they had a little bit more pieces going into last year's tournament. That being said, if you look at some rosters, they have one of the more experienced uh, championship game rosters, if you want to look at it from that regard. But the matchup with Western is going to be interesting. Jalen Johnson, two good games against Western, 18 and 16. Uh, Jordan Jones actually had a 16-point game. And the win against West Carolina, I believe that was his first start of the season, uh, was against the Catamounts. But then you turn around, and Western won the second matchup, and, and no Robinson. They get Woolbright back, but there's no Robinson. And for, you know, Western to win that, 69-65, and Johnson and Hase each with 16. And you look at the leading scores for Western, I had to take a double take. It was Marlo Gilmore with 19, and then Marvin Price with 16. And so if Western's getting 19 and 16 from those two guys without Robinson, and I'm not suggesting a dish about subtraction on the shots and points, but certainly if those two guys can put up buckets, then I think it's going to be an interesting game. But I I think this will be one that Mercer – because for whatever reason, Gary's had some success in the conference tournament, not just last year, but I think he – win a game his first year as well
1: well let's look at western for a second because they had lost five in a row but take two of their final three they got robinson back in the final game of the year after he was hurt in the Furman game a couple of weeks ago now wolbright it's been interesting to see that final game of the year only six minutes is what he played and you imagine he'd been back for a couple of games you imagine that he's healthy at this point the win over vmi uh be that game. but marlo gilmore you mentioned has taken up the production that wolbright hasn't been able to keep up last five for gilmore 80 percent from the floor and his last four he's averaging 17 points per game just four per game the rest of the year he's probably the hottest player in the league entering the tournament can you see led by marlo gilmore and nick robinson western knocking off mercer and then if it is western or mercer either one if they go on to face number two Furman, i feel like i probably know your answer on this but is one of these teams capable of pulling that big upset
0: of course they are you knew, you knew that answer. I'll say this: Western, as you know, they don't, they don't go to Western games except for in Asheville. It's the only time they have a crowd. They're going to have the god awful purple thunder, whatever that thing's called, and you're not going to be able. To, you're going to go deaf at halftime. Uh, they're going to perform, but that's the one time that the Catamount fans show up in droves, and uh, it'll be interesting to see if they win that first game even more of the Western Carolina Catamount fans. Faithful will show up on Saturday, and I think that would be the one time that you would see Western Carolina have an advantage. It's the only time Western Carolina has advantage of a crowd of of any time. It's just in the conference tournament, and when they get the people locally that have graduated that only go, that live in Asheville or within a few miles of Asheville that show up there. It's it's incredible because it's not like it is a super long drive from Asheville to Cullowhee. And for Saturday football games, 3.30, they tend to do okay. Basketball, throw a dart anytime; they are awful, one of the worst crowds that they get. But then all of a sudden, it's amazing. I try to tell people that aren't used to that when they show up to Asheville, they're like, where are all these Western fans come from? I'm like, oh, they're around. They just don't show up until they're there. So I can see. got out see, of color. Can you blame them? And, and I can see Western Carolina. I mean, the truth is Mercer, Mercer has, I think, a, a really good matchup with Furman. If they go, but will Western Carolina in this new revamped last couple games, you know, could they do enough? And, again, the the seven ten has done a lot. I mean, I guess it was Furman. I guess last time they were in a championship game, they were the 10 seed and only won a few games. And then Niko mevedev got them hot, got them in the championship game from the 10 seed. So just think about that. In the past, what, five, six years, they've had a couple sevens in a 10 seed in the championship game. So, yes, I can see a seven ten easily going against the two. And when the two is a team that has struggled, you know, for the the people think I just, you know, hate Furman or hate Bob Ritchie, Bob Ritchie's two and four. So if my math is correct, he's lost twice in the first round. He's won one quarter – two quarterfinal games and has never gotten to the championship game. Is is my math correct? Uh, Yeah, we'll
1: go over them in a bit. But if Marlo Gilmore goes 12 for 13 from the floor like he did against VMI, I'm not putting anything past the count. absolutely incredible. Let's talk about the other two matchups we know about, the three versus the six, and that is, of course, uh, UNCG and Sanford. That's the night game on Saturday, 830, but it'll probably be a little bit later than that. A matchup of, I think, clashing styles, when you look more in the beginning of the year, than where we are in conference now. We've seen Bucky make some of those adjustments to that Sanford offense that we talked about with the return of Logan Dye and Jermaine Marshall being back healthy as well. They want to play fast but want to utilize those two bigs, and obviously it's been tremendously successful. The two teams split very similar games earlier this season. Spartans won 61-58 back on January 22nd. should be noted, though, the Bulldogs didn't have Marshall, that allowing the Spartans to take a 15-5 second-chance point advantage and plus eight mark in the paint. Four weeks later, though, Marshall played. Didn't have a great game, but did pound the glass. Game high, 11 rebounds. The big difference in the contest, though, was the performance of Spartan star Demonte Buckingham, who you're high on. He wasn't particularly spectacular in game one. 13 points on four of 11 from the floor. Kind of a so-so day, but just dreadful in game two. 0 for 5 from the floor and scoreless. One of just two scoreless games he had all season. Needless to say, if this game is another race to 60, he can't play like he did in matchup, too, if they hope to have success.
0: So, uh, you look at both games, Don Glover leading scores for Sanford, which makes sense. And you look at UNCG, the first game in the win, it was uh, Keyshawn Langley and Buckingham 15 and 13. The second game, it was Colby Langley with 15. And it was Boss Lata had 13 and Caleb Hunter had 12. And you're right, Buckingham nowhere to be found. As a team, they just shot 31%, only got the 49 points uh, did the Spartans. So, for me – UNCG twice has been able to hold down Sanford to 58 and 55 points. So to me, if they can hold him under 60, I think UNCG will be able to find a way to get to 60 and knock off Sanford. That being said, I think Sanford right now is going to be able in the Southern Commerce Tournament to get more than 60 in this game. I think they'll get 68, maybe knocking on a door 70. And to me, that's where the problem is for UNCG. But if UNCG keeps them under 60, as they did the first two times, I don't think UNCG is going to have 49 points on the board. Uh, I think I would be shocked if I don't see UNCG in this game uh, turn into a little bit of a situation where the Langleys will gamble more and try to get steals, not necessarily press because I don't think you know, with Wes Miller's style, that's sort of what it was. It was that one-two-two two kind of trap, press this, that, and other. They do it more with pressure with just trying to ball pressure. The one thing about Quez Glover, I don't think he particularly likes uh, being pressured 94 feet, so I'm curious to see if UNCG kind of makes that not necessarily the press but just alternate, which Langler even Tracy kind of pick up Glover and try to make him work every single trip going up down the floor.
1: Who do you think Furman should be reading for, or am I getting ahead of myself?
0: I think you're getting ahead of yourself, but of course they do. <laughs> uh, I, you, you know, uh, I I think Furman lost to Sanford and UNCG. You know, you know, they lost Sanford for sure. I think they lost UNCG as well. So, you know, I, to me, it's all about matchups. I would assume that Furman would want to play UNCG more because I feel like Furman thinks they'll be able to score. I think Sanford would be a little bit more of an intri- intriguing matchup, and I know Furman throttled. UNCG that first matchup, but there was no quiz Glover, and I know people are like, "Well, he's not a thirty-point guy." No, he's not, but he makes a difference. And you know, if he gives you twenty, you're telling me he couldn't help his team get ten or I mean, eight he can or three. thirty it. on a given night. True, but I so I think they would rather play UNCG would be my guess.
1: Did lose to UNCG and Furman this year. Number four Wofford and number five VMI the two thirty game on Saturday hate the way this year ended for Dan Earl and company as we suspected would be the case Jake Stevens did not play in that final week with that ankle injury and just tough to know if he'll be ready for this weekend even if he is I would doubt that he's 100% already not the most fleet of foot seems taking away any more of his lower body stability and explosion kind of explodes his game so the key Dats will have to do it without their start 100% if they have them at all they've lost four of their last five Wofford was one of those teams that beat them in that stretch just six days ago 83 to 72, the final in Lexington. Everybody's talking about how hot Sanford is. Wofford a nice little close to the season. They won four of their final five. Didn't blow anybody out. Didn't beat either of the top two in that stretch. But scored a solid come from behind and went over Mercer Saturday, outscoring the Bears by 16 and a half. Two. It's been essentially all B.J. B- 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 Mack and Max Klesmet offensively. Very little else contributing consistently. To me, the downfall for the Terriers will be a day that shots aren't going down for Klesmet and he seems to be due for one of those seven straight games and double figures to end the year. There's just not a lot of support, much like, honestly, if you look at VMI right now, it's kind of Kerfman and Hoff, and you've got Bonham still here and there, obviously, but without Stevens, they've got some weaknesses, and then Klesmet, while he can be 20, 25 points in a given day, if you don't have him hitting those shots, it's B.J. Mack, and I'd be looking for a solid second scorer.
0: You look at VMI, the first matchup, at Wofford, a win for VMI. Stevens, 27 points, 12 rebounds, 6 assists. E, uh, VMI was plus 4 points in the paint that first matchup. Second matchup, no Jake Stevens. Wofford minus 16. I oh, don't know. Wofford plus 16. I'm sorry. VMI minus 16 in the paint. So VMI, that's a 20 point swing, points in the paint with no Jake Stevens. So even if it's not offensive points, in the paint for VMI. Certainly he can defend inside in the paint and can um, challenge shots. Besides Stevens, it was Kerfman 21 in the first game. Hoffman Bottom each went for 20. Wasn't enough. If they each go to 20, again, they certainly cannot let Klesman and Matt go for 22 and 21, which Wofford did. Without Jake Stevens, it's just going to be tough, I think, for VMI.
1: Do you think either of these teams pose a threat to Chattanooga?
0: Uh, Um. Probably more
1: Wofford than VMI.
0: I, I, without Stevens, there's no doubt. Without Stevens, with Stevens, honestly, I think VMI because he can. He's not going to negate the Sosa. Let's, let's get that out of the way, number one. But he's he's going to be, I think, a guy that's at least a big body that can play some defense on him, and it's going to make DeSosa Sosa have to step out and guard Stevens from beyond the arc as a stretch. So. um, you know, and I know B.J. Mack may try to do that, um, but to me, Mac isn't as strong defensively in the post than what Jake Stevens is, so I would assume if Stevens was there, the uh, to me the obvious answer is VMI because they can knock down shots and Stevens can kind of help protect the paint, but I think it has to be Wofford the only team to give them a chance.
1: Speaking of Chattanooga, top of the league, De DeSosa back. We got a chance to see them up close. Looked really good for, I guess I'd say about 36 minutes of the 40 against the Bucs, and I think you'd agree if someone outside of DeSosa, Smith, Gene Baptiste, or Banks go for 25 like Grant Ledford did, the team is pretty unbeatable. Even without a night like that from Ledford, or one of the non-stars for the Mox could be any of them outside of those four that I named, do you think that they're unbeatable anyway?
0: No, I, I think if you had to handicap the field, I think bar none, they would have the, not just as the number one seed, but I think they would be a, a Vegas heavy favorite um, to win the league outright. And then the others, you know, I think, you know, Furman, Sanford, and probably the next best odds, and it's a 1-2. But I think you're talking about a 60%, 70%, you know, Vegas probably saying that Chattanooga's going to win that thing. And, I think they have the most pieces. I mean, they've got two legitimate one-two punch scoring guards. They certainly have, and not just DeSosa, but they've got a couple of guys they can run inside down low um, to get rebounds, block shots. Obviously, DeSosa can score if he's in there. And then they've got guys that just know how to play basketball. I mean, Banks gets underrated. I mean, he's averaging like three and a half assists a game, four assists a game, whatever it is.
1: Fifteen hundred points in his career.
0: So, I mean, he's certainly capable. You know, you're not going to get, you know, 25 from Ledford every night. But if he gets nine, he hits three threes. That's certainly something. We know Caldwell's hit a, another game winner this year. He's had games where he's had 15, 16, 17 points. So, you know, they they have enough pieces that one guy is not – and Malachi Smith's not had many days off ever. But they've got enough pieces to where it, it's going to be very difficult – a team is going to have to play pretty flawless, I think, to knock off Chattanooga.
1: And they were the team that finally slowed down Sanford in the regular season finale, held them to 57, shut down Quez, Avenged, their only loss in league play in which their four stars all played. The others, they didn't have DeSosa or Gene Baptiste. Seems like they're the only team in the league that are extremely capable offensively, but also extremely interested defensively. Just another note on Furman. Obviously, their season strong early, were are 9-2. They lose four of their final seven. Did look like their old selves in the final game of the year against the Citadel, but they've had their problems this season that look a lot like the ones they've had in the postseason, and now four years of Bob Ritchie, this being his fifth. Their six losses in league play came by an average of five per game, and their four SoCon tournament losses they've gone down by an average of six points per game. They've won just twice at the league postseason. You referenced the stat earlier, two and four in four years of Ritchie. It hasn't been a matter of can they win three in three days. They haven't even had the chance to win three in three days. To break it down a little further, their three losses before last season in the tournament they shot, 19 of 76 from three. Okay, 25%. Didn't score more than 68 points, averaged 61 points per loss. But then they finally hit some shots last year, and, of course, they lose in overtime to VMI, 91 to 90. Their path this year, and I know the answer you want to give, but let's say that they do get to the championship game. If they get there, will it take an upset of Chattanooga before the mocks get to the title game for Furman to have a shot to win it all.
0: Ooh, um, I mean, again, I just, I think if Chad is full strength in the championship game, I think three games, three days. I think their depth, and I know Furman has played, tried to play more people this year. They've tried to get some more depth, but the true depth belongs to Chattanooga. And three games, three days, generally depth, physicality. Um, we know that tournament basketball referees don't tend to blow the whistle as much. And in championship games, you tend to get three high level referees that you never see like Doug Sermons, but once every 15 years. And then there's two fouls called in the entire first half of the ETSU Wofford championship game. And those teams are probably two of the most physical teams that there were in the league then. So the physicality is going to work against, I think Furman. And so I, I mean, I, I don't think Furman will get necessarily. Well, I, I know this. Furman will get ran out of the building because they've got some pieces, they got some scores. But I think the best chance for Furman, to, and the best chance for anybody, is for somebody to knock off Chattanooga. If you're on the other side of the bracket, rather it's Sanford, you'd rather because everybody has a little bit of deficiencies compared to Chattanooga. I mean, they've first of all they've proven it, and you know there's only a few teams. What was it? Just two? Or, chat got 2 or 3 losses. 4 4 losses. So no, they, they lost to the Western game. Oh, I, mean, that was I, I that totally was forgot. GMAT-T's they still. lost Western, they lost Sanford. Um, they lost VMI and UNCG. So you look at it and Sanford and UNCG's on that side. So certainly they they feel good about that, but I I do not feel good. I, I think chat is going to be if if and I'm not just saying this cuz an ETSU fan, but I think if ETSU doesn't give them a game or doesn't knock them off, and they get a chance to get one game in and get rolling. I think it's going to be tough. I think generally the best shot, and we've seen this when ETSU is the one seed, takes a while. You get that scare, they get the adrenaline from the team the previous night. It's just a situation, but I think if if Chat wins that first game, and goodness, if VMI was able to win without Jake Stevens, then I think Chat probably rolls. VMI pretty good. I think Wofford will give him a, you know, a pretty decent game and then depending on who's in the championship game, but I think if you get UNCG in there, the physicality and if the game is called and allowed to be physical, then I think certainly UNCG uh, would have a good opportunity, but I think if Chat could play very physical against Sanford, I don't think that's a good matchup for Sanford and I don't really think it's a great matchup for Furman. Now, the game's called a little bit more like the regular season. Then, yeah, I think, I think you know Furman and Sanford got a great shot to knock off Chattanooga. The problem is, you're going to get Pat Adams and Duck Sermons and Duck Shows and guys you don't see ever, and then they're, they're going to call four fouls, and it, it, it's just going to be a bloodbath. And you you better be more physical and better be ready to go.
1: I do like that style of basketball, though. Honestly, I, listen, I,
0: I am all for let grown people decide the game. Whether it's professional or college, no, nobody likes, uh, right? The the hand check at midcourt. No. You know, nobody likes the the tic tac foul. You, you, what you'll see is the NBA late whistle. Guy goes up, he gets hit. They'll wait if the ball's gonna drop. It's a play on no advantage. If it misses, you'll get the late whistle. You'll get a couple free throws, but it'll be on definitely bumps that affect the shot. If it doesn't, if there's a bump, but it didn't affect the shot. The guy still got a clean shot off. It didn't affect them. They're not going to blow the whistle. They're going to try to let guys decide it. And you got to be ready to play that style of basketball. And trust me, TSU fans know all too well about that, right? TJ Cromer gets teed, and Steve Forbes gets keyed, and Chattanooga ends up, um, you know, getting four points, and then I think they won by five. Uh, so uh, it, you know, was a 2016 championship game. So I will say this: If you're a Buck fan and you're looking for something to make you feel good. ETSU twice has won the Southern Conference Championship by starting off the tournament with wins against Chatta, uh, with Citadel and Chattanooga.
1: I love that you always found a way.
0: And you I believe, I believe it's a three-game, uh, four-game losing streak, Chattanooga, to ETSU in the Southern Conference Tournament. So if you want to look at it that way, too.
1: You always manage, don't you?
0: Did I, did I mention I've, I've got ETSU beating Chad? Go. Let's talk it. Yeah. San I kick on the Sports Network. Luxuriously designed. Exquisitely detailed. First in its class. Corner to corner, a true work of art. Capable of going from zero to $300,000 in a few seconds flat. Are we talking about a sports car? Oh, no. We're talking about Jumbo Bucks Premium Edition Instant Games from the Tennessee Lottery. So test drive the new gold standard and instant tickets today. The Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly.
1: Breakdown. 5, five four, four,
0: three, 3, 2, one, one. and the sidekick. We have ignition. Grab it on here. Yeah, here we go. It's going
1: to get very controversial here because I'm going to lead off by telling you that I voted Jimmy Garrity for the Coach of the Year, not Susie Gardner. Your thoughts?
0: No, I'm okay with that.
1: It's his least talented team.
0: It's the first time in school history that most SoCon wins in school history. First, How about this? First time ever they swept Furman in regular season. Because somebody said, well, they beat them twice in uh, one year. Yeah, but they beat them in the conference tournament. They, they took two out of three. But that's still not a sweep, right? Am I incorrect on the term of a sweep? Sweep, first time ever, Wofford over Furman. So, without a doubt, we were down on Wofford. Down on him. I think I was – I don't know if I was more down or you were down. We are both down. So, I, I think I think he should win it. Uh, obviously, if Susie wins it, you could – you could see it, but but I think uh, he sh- he should be one. She should be two.
1: All freshman team for me. Susie Ingulafak for Sanford is by freshman of the year. I could see Reagan Rapert. You saw her. I saw her. She's a very confident young player. Led the league in assists. I wouldn't fault anybody for voting, especially considering Wofford again outperformed Sanford. and outperformed their expectation versus Sanford was a bit more disappointing this season. I had Rapert second. Uh, third, Aaron Haupt from Mercer, just because she really does one thing great, shoots it really well, but doesn't do a lot else. And then the final two I had were Isis Grady, who actually ended up leading UNCG in scoring, and then Destiny McClendon for Chattanooga. It got really thin there towards uh, the bottom of that team. Really, it was the top four that I was super impressed with. So,
0: Raper, the thing about her was, you know, doing research for that game, you see all the statues, whatever. She's somebody that if you don't see, I don't think you can appreciate Agreed. maybe how good she is because that that's what was shocking was watching her live was whole, was even different watching her on TV, seeing all the things she does, how she moves, how she's able to work, how move the basketball. So, uh, great upside uh, for Wofford, but I think clearly N'Gulafak was the best uh, freshman. Year.
1: The fact that N'Gulafak was able to displace some minutes from Annie Ramil, who was an all-conference player last year, and Natalie Armstrong has missed the last six or seven games, and Angula really hasn't missed a beat a whole lot. Uh, but, yeah, you're right. Raper, she made a couple of freshman mistakes in that game against DTSU, but those aren't things she does on a game-by-game basis. Uh, I think she's got a really bright future for Jimmy Garrity and company. Uh, my player of the year is Tierra Hodges.
0: It's not. I don't even think it's close. Consensus 100% I, I don't, agree, I don't right? think it's close. If, if somebody did not vote for her, I would have to question – who that person was.
1: If she wasn't before Saturday, then she goes career-high 29 points, ties her head coach Jackie Carson for the most double-doubles in the history of Furman, grabs 15 boards as well. I mean, that's ceiling. Career-high
0: free throws made, I mean, all kinds of That's stuff.
1: a ceiling player-of-the-year type performance. I did have to think about it before. I ended up putting this together on, like, Thursday in terms of my ballot and then revisited it. I actually had a little bit of pause before that game that Hodges had with Memorial neal Tyser, and maybe it's just because she dropped 25-and-a-half Against ETSU earlier this she season. She dropped 25-and-a-half? Yeah, against ETSU and that okay. eighty two forty eight. Yeah, 25-and-a-half. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty impressive. I just want to make sure I heard that. Okay. She shot the lights out, okay. there's no doubt. Um, right. I tried to forget that simply because, what was that, A uh, eighty two forty eight launch for the box.
0: Uh, Dad, you had to do solo.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's correct. Because uh, I got uh, Bruce
0: was out. <laughs> those were my top
1: two. And then Andrea Cornoyer was third. Uh, it's funny, Rayford actually kind of reminds me of Andrea Cornoyer in the fact that she's very athletically built, a major competitor, I think those are far and away. Hodges, Neil Tyser, and Cornoyer are the top three. And then you go from there, the rest of my first team, Tate Walters and Shannon Titus, you have to include. I know she didn't put up the big scoring numbers this year, but she is all around the best player in the Southern Conference, really like three or four years running. So that's my first team. Really, though, I thought it was those top three and then everybody else on this ballot. And I know you don't have a vote in... This media ballot, so you didn't end up filling one out. So I'm just going to run through the rest of these, and you stop me if you think there's anything outrageous. Uh, Jackie Carmen really back to her efficient self for Wofford. Really good to see this season that she's been able to shoot it better. Really looks more the player she was before her knee injury. So happy to see her back in the court and doing well. In uh, Goulefak ahead in the second team as well. Grace Van Rye from Furman had a quiet day against DTSU, but consistently over the years she's been very strong. A good compliment um, really to what Hodges has done. Uh, Nia Lutz for Wofford. She's having a career year shooting the basketball from outside the arc, 41%. Alexis Tomlin's established herself for Wofford. Inside is more of a post player. That's my second team. Um, so, uh, again, Carmen and Goulafak, Van Rye, Lutz, and Tomlin. And then my third team was Jaron Doherty. You can't leave her off, part of the big three for Mercer. Um, in the number two spot on that team, I had Dina Gerald's for Chattanooga who was one of two mocks that made it for me. Brooke Hample was the other on that third team. And then Lily Hatton for Wofford had a big day against ETSU and looks to be playing better towards the end of the year, kind of a quiet first, uh, goodness, really two, two and a half months, but close the year strong. And he certainly can't leave off-court anymore, who had a career-high 26 points for ETSU against Wofford in that win. She was the only Buck nominated, and I have her making it.
0: No, I'm fine with that. I'm uh, I trying to rattle those, write those down because I did not see the list beforehand. Who, who would – the players you did, that didn't make yeah, it Yeah, let me, let me hear that first. Uh, Aja
1: Boyd, I really wanted to put her on the team because it's a good comeback story. She missed all last season, but she just wasn't. And as we yeah, see, she looked different, And, and as we've seen with Jackie Carmen, it takes maybe two years from that severe knee injury. She's in her first year back from it, and so um, just hasn't been the same player. Uh, Natalie Armstrong, again, just missed too much time at the end of the year. Amaria Pugh for Chattanooga. Abby Cornelius, again, missed a lot of time. Uh, Joy Reed, Noria Cruz, uh, Nadia Marshall. For Western Carolina, I can't vote anybody onto a team that didn't No, I, th- a I think if, game, if that was I my choices, it. It. Uh, yeah,
0: I think I, I would agree with the top 15.
1: Okay, let's talk bracket blowout. And okay. let's talk Bucs like we did uh, first in the men's segment. We'll do it here in the women's segment, too. 2-7 two game, and it's against Wofford. Really, uh, just run back the tape to what Thursday's show. We previewed this game then, but since then, my confidence and belief has grown in ETSU. uh how about you? I mean, are you on the same page? I think this closed to the year and granted a loss to Furman, but you looked really good early on. You were competitive throughout the contest. It seems like even when the Bucks are losing, they are much more in games, have a much more resolute attitude, and seem to be buying in more as the season goes along to Simon Harris.
0: They certainly are clicking a little better defensively um, Well, and offensively, but offensively is because shots are going down. And, I, you know, I felt like, They've grasped sort of what he wants to do offensively. They've gotten clean looks. Now it's just a matter of can they knock down shots because they're getting looks. And when they hit eight or more threes, right, they're very successful. I thought the the biggest difference in the first two games, number one, obviously the easiest is three-point shooting. Hit five threes on the first, 11 on the second game. But they got to the free-throw line 22 times in the second game, only four times in the first game. So I think you know that would be number two. They had 18 turnovers in the first matchup. Cut that down to 11. So I think that's a good number. And then I thought switching sort of pace on defense, whether it was man, zone, or press. And I don't know what it was about the press, but you can correct me if I'm that wrong, Wofford did Oof. not have a clue. And I thought it was interesting. Coach Harris last night said, well, we had a feeling we had an advantage, but if we showed it early in the game, then it wouldn't be as effective late in the game. So, now, obviously, I think Wofford knows it's going to come. So, the question is, do you roll the dice and throw it out there a couple times early? Um, obviously, Jackie Carmen had eight. And and if you can keep her down to eight, man, I think ETSU, you've got a great shot. But to me, that'll be the big thing. Can they put a lot of pressure on Raper, try to force turnovers on the inbounds pass with Lutz or Raper, whoever's having trouble throwing the ball in, bringing the ball up? Can you hold kind of Carmen down? And Lily Hatton kept him in the game early um, and then kind of went cold. But if Hatton didn't have, what, 8 or 11 early points, then really ETSU would have ran away with that even more. I think the big issue for ETSU is Wofford. And, again, I don't I don't know that teams circle a tournament game, but I think certainly they did not like the fact that they were beaten there. It wouldn't shock me if they don't try to make a statement early. So I think if the Bucs can weather the early storm against the Terriers, and I think it's a good match, I think ETSU – athletically in the post, there's a couple of teams they don't match up well with. And, honestly, nobody's matching up well with Hodges and Furman. I mean, they're just not. Mercer matches up pretty well with Furman for simple reasons just because they've got length and they can stop the ball before it gets to Hodges in the paint. So that's why I think Mercer – and they've got just so many scores uh, on that team and the pressure-style defense. I think it's the pressure-style defense – Um, The ball pressure, they don't allow it entry. But we'll talk about Mercer in a second. But I I feel like those two teams, I think ETSU has a real hard time matching up with. I do think it's a pretty good matchup when you look at Sanford, when you look at Chattanooga, when you look at Wofford. So I I think ETSU has the matchup they want. The question is, can they have somewhat of a repeat from Thursday?
1: This matchup of two teams that started out hot Saturday, Wofford scored 48 first-half points against Chattanooga. The Bucs scored 13 in the first three minutes and three seconds against Furman. Difference is Wafford scored thirty six in the second half, eighty-four points in the day against Chad. They're most against the division one team all season. ETSU would score just thirty eight in the final thirty six minutes and fifty seven seconds. Good or bad thing for ETSU that the Terriers are coming off such a good offensive day.
0: I, I think it helps considering that you know they went bad. I think if this would have been a wraparound game where they were all, I would have not felt real good about the game. They have one game in between and certainly it's in a different venue. Uh, ETSU had success there last year. I mean, so I think you'd have to be a little bit for some of the players that are holdovers last year, have to be pretty confident about, look, it was us against the world last year as the eighth seed, and we were able to knock off the number one. So I, I think it's the mindset, ETSU, they playing, playing with energy, um, really seem to pull for one another, which you can't say that about every team you look at around the league. So I think they've got to use that energy. They've got to be able to get a couple shots to drop and then certainly they can't let Carmen uh, go bonkers on you.
1: Reason it could be a good thing that they hit so many shots Saturday. They're 289th in the nation in field goal percentage, so how many made shots do they really have in them? Things ETSU will have to watch out for. They force a lot of turnovers, shoot it well at the line. Really could come down to, you kind of alluded to it, what will be stronger? The Buck's confidence from February and their one against the Terriers one week earlier or Wofford's want for revenge. You just hope that they're not fixated on that game and come out with just the fire in their eyes, jump on ETSU early and the whole game's changed. Winner of the Bucs and Terriers will face the winner of the Paladins of Furman, and the Chattanooga Mox. I'd say the biggest revelation here is that chat did get Abby Cornelius back, very limited role Saturday, just seven minutes, two points, but getting their leading scorer back for what you would imagine would be a more extensive role in the postseason. You imagine that's going to be a big boost as they limp to the finish line without her, lost eight of their final nine. You can tell when she's not in, they don't have much. When she is in, they at least are going to put up a fight, be in a game, and perhaps even pull an upset.
0: I, I think obviously, you know, if you want to argue MVP, like I used to argue um, for, uh, on other teams, she's not the Cornelius is not the MVP of the league. But she's one of those people that the team is so dramatically different, you could argue she is the MVP right. of the team for the league, if that makes sense, because of what she means and how competitive they are not when she's not on the floor. It's already tough when you're taking on Hodges and you know that she's going to get you 18 and 17 no matter what, uh, on top of some other pieces that they can get to score, like Van Ryan and some others. But plus 24 on the glass for Furman. I think they're plus 14 on free throws in the two games combined. I think those are the two biggest things, and I don't see that changing with Cornelius. I think uh, if Cornelius is not 100% healthy and not hitting shots, I mean, this could be like the game they played a few weeks ago uh, last Thursday, as a matter of fact, right, 64-43.
1: Furman did what they did against a lot of teams this year, ETSU included against chat this year, won by double digits in each matchup played one week ago. You mentioned just 43 points scored and having just gotten a look at Furman, I can tell you what I was most impressed with was their rotations defensively and the help they provided each other, Forced the bucks into three or four charges. And they read a lot of post-entry passes to force more turnovers, help coming underneath, picking off passes. What do you think the approach will be to try and take away Hodges? Obviously having Cornelius will help Chattanooga, Is it the let her get hers and shut down everyone else or try to deny her and make the others beat you? Simon Harris told me before the game against Furman, Hodges is Hodges. That is life this year. She is going to be what she's going to be for Furman. She's not someone that you can stop, so let her get hers. And I think for ETSU, it actually worked pretty well. They just didn't hit enough shots after those first three minutes, but Furman only scored 62, so what approach would you go with?
0: Uh, No, I I think you try to shut everybody else down Uh, is – I mean, if she goes for 30, great. But I I think if you could try to keep everyone else from not having double figures or at least somebody else, you know, going for 15 or 20 or whatever it is. So uh, I think I would just – she's going to get hers. Let's just make sure, um, you know, don't double. Let her just go one-on-one. Hope she passes. Hope there's some missed shots. The rebounding's big. You can't let her – dominate the glass to where Furman's a plus 10, plus 12 for any team. I think if you can keep the glass to, you know, four or five different, even if Furman wins, to me that's a win for most teams in the league. And especially if you can get those defensive rebounds and kind of get Furman one and done and go to the other end of the floor. The other thing is is um, Furman very efficient in running because their bigs run so well. Up and down the floor, I don't, you know, again, which is why I think Mercer is a good matchup because their big run as well down the floor. I think if Chattanooga doesn't get back and Furman and get some cheapy layups. I think that could be a problem, too.
1: Super impressed with the job Jackie Carson has done. 7 14 winning percentage. They went 10 and 4 in league play. That 7 14 winning percentage during Southern Conference action the best of her career and second best in like 25 years for the program. Other side of the bracket, the four or five Sanford and UNCG Spartans get the tie break over the bucks and mocks because they won three of the four against those two teams combined. Chat went two and two ETSU went one and three. That's why the five and nine three way tie ended up the way it did. Spartans five mocks, six bucks, seven. Do you agree that it seems there was a pretty clear divide in the league this year, top half and bottom half, those top four looking pretty strong, while the bottom four was far removed from being on the level of the top four? Do you see it as more of a top three as Sanford struggled a lot of the year? Do you not see it like that at all?
0: No, I, I, I think I would go top three and then maybe mid, mid-tier and then you know, Western? Four, four through seven, and, 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 then, sure. and then just Western being sure. Western. Yeah. I, I think I would, I would go with that just because Sanford um, did look very vulnerable. They have six or seven losses in league play. So, um, to me, the top three were the top three and, and showed it for the most part of the year. Um, so, I and Sanford really ran through UNCG. Well, I guess they had a five-point win at UNCG, but, but no problem with them at home. I think Sanford, I mean – I guess Sanford is slightly – maybe it's a top three, a 1B, Mm. and then mid-tier. Maybe maybe something like that. And, of course, Western is Western. But uh, maybe that's a little fair because Sanford, uh, you know, a few games better than the other three squads. But um, I don't think Sanford's in the top three.
1: Sanford, it seems, ended up about where they should – definitely not what I thought they would be at the beginning of the year, but where they belonged after all results were done. They lose to the top three in their final three games. Furman-Wofford-Mercer by 10 points per game. Natalie Armstrong, we talked about it a few minutes ago, has missed the last three weeks. And without her inside, you would hope, if you're Carly Coons and company, that Ngulafak and Ramil would rise to the occasion, fill her shoes. They really haven't done that. Both have just kind of been what they've been this year. Ramil struggling to convert her looks from the field. Ngulafak solid, but not a takeover big. And Shante Battle just hasn't been the big-time player that we remember from pre-injury. Again, that's kind of a theme here, right? Like a major lower-body injury coming back that first year. You kind of need a, I'd say, a reintegration year on the court, and then that second year you really hit, but Battle doesn't have the time for that. as She's such a veteran. Ends the year just four for her final 24 from the floor. Andrea Cordoyer to me, is about as pr- impressive of a competitor as I've seen in the SoCon in my years covering it. and obviously very skilled as well, but just refuses to not give 100% at any point during any game, but she can't do it alone. So this, to me, is a dangerous game for the
0: Bulldogs. I, yeah, again, because they've not been what we've seen, and they have. Now they've they've scored a little better against UNCG than the rest of the league, but UNCG has some talented shot blockers. they got people that can play inside. They can score points in the paint. You know, I I think you look at the first two games, you go, ah, Sanford's won the first two, probably going to lean that way. But I don't think it's that cut and dry either. Um, I think the issue will be, can UNCG get to 60? If UNCG can get to 60, I think UNCG's got a great shot to win the basketball game because I think Sanford's going to be hovering right around that 58 to 62 point range. So the one issue I'd say if UNCG doesn't score and they, you know, they, they have a typical game that they have where they go at 48, 49, then I think Sanford's got enough punch to them. But I think if UNCG can figure out a way to get to even 55, 56, the way they play defense, and, again, the way the style of the game will probably be called, they got an opportunity um, to shut down Sanford. Sanford's got some more shooters um, that could obviously stretch the game out in the 70s. And if Sanford got 70, I don't think there's any shot, any shot. UNCG can get seven. To
1: me, the two most disappointing teams in the league. I really expected UNCG to be able to take a big step this year. They lost Jalen Brown in the middle of the season, their third-leading score. That obviously didn't help. Khalees Kane kind of stagnated this year, and will it be a game in which they, as you said, don't get to 50, 55, and Sanford just seems too talented to not be able to win a game like that and get to 60, 65, whatever it would be. But if they're on their full complement of players on each side. It would be interesting to see because UNCG does play such incredible defense, and Natalie Armstrong hasn't really been the player that we once knew, but it doesn't look like she's going to play at all. I'm not sure we really need to talk about Western and Mercer. this Mercer may wins. Be... Mercer wins. <laughs> that's the, yeah, the that one that's note that's you mean, have. Okay. Super- Maybe one of the more lopsided tournament games that we've seen. You'll remember a few years ago that was the 1-8 matchup. Mercer won 55-32. I'd expect something similar. I think the main question we have to answer is how much further above every other team is Mercer they're only lost this season in league play, Furman 69-66, 127 in the net is Mercer, no other SoCon team is above 225, so the computer numbers say that this should be an easy walk to the championship for the Bears, they've won the SoCon tournament three of the last four years, gone to the NCAAs, they've got a top three player in the league in and Neil Tyser, maybe the most well-rounded player in the league in Shannon Titus, history, individual talent, experience, and domination this year, I mean there's obviously a lot going for them, so is this Mercer's to lose unless there is an outrageous set of circumstances that sees them get knocked out?
0: I, I think Mercer clear path to the championship game. I think the only team in the championship game that could give them games, the only team that beat him this year in Furman. And I think that's just because Hodges, Van Ry Ra- in the post they could they could make enough plays. Um, I think Mercer wins three. I think they won the first two. They win the first one by 15 or 20. I think they win the second one double digits. And it wouldn't shock me if they knocked off uh, whoever they play in the championship game by double figures as well. I think Furman's the best shot. Wofford has had Furman's number, so Wofford could get there. ETSU could knock off Wofford. ETSU Furman, that's sort of been the crypt tonight. If Chattanooga gets Abby Cornelia, she pulls off something bonkers. I think Furman's the best shot. Um, to get the championship game to give them a game, but I don't think if Furman's in a championship game, I, I don't see anybody giving Mercer a 10-point game.
1: Furman does have a bit of a blueprint. They were 6 of 11 from 3 in that win. Mercer's 5th in the nation in 3-point percentage defense, so the Paladins beat that mark, obviously, over 50%. Mercer, 22nd in the nation in field goal percentage defense, allowing just 36%. Furman hit it 44% paladins forced the issue like they do 15 and 19 from the line didn't make bad decisions defensively only gave mercer nine attempts at the line bears made only five and Tierra hodges got the better of shannon titus and jaron doherty titus and doherty 21 points combined and 11 rebounds hodges 26 points and 15 boards herself so if a team can hit their threes get to the line be efficient offensively it seems to me that's the recipe and then having a player of the league candidate see you and me think runaway favorite Obviously, doesn't hurt either, and you wonder if Andrea Cornoyer, obviously being the incredible individual talent she is, maybe if Sanford could ride Cornoyer there and somehow get like 40 from her if that wouldn't be something that could push Sanford to getting that victory.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think Mercer, looking at the numbers, I don't think they had any trouble with Wofford this year. So, you know, it's all about matchups. Furman doesn't, for whatever reason, not a good matchup against Wofford. You know, if Wofford could get that third win – then I think that's certainly what Mercer would be pulling for, but uh, I think it's going to be Furman, Mercer, and what I think would be an entertaining women's championship game. But I think Mercer's by far, even more so than what we're talking about Chattanooga. I think this is like a 94, 96 percent chance that uh, Mercer rolls through everybody.
1: Time for my bold predictions comeback in the final episode oh of the year. You excited?
0: You excited? Yeah. You gotta be excited. Show <laughs> Oh, Johnny, I don't know if you heard this yet. He's going to pitch. And I'm waiting to hear the rules.
1: Mark it down. There. Plus, I'm they are fingers. drastically in swung in favor of one of us. I'll give you that. There's not a soul that can stop the victory in New Jersey.
0: That's C5, baby. Literally, the last person on earth that should ever be considered the U.S. national League is JaVale McKee.
1: NIL stands for Never in Life, as in Never in Life, will NIL be a real thing?
0: No, you can't. You cannot show me one guy more dedicated to the university than Damari Monsanto. He will go down as one of the best to ever do it at ETSU. A newly fit Jay
1: Sandoz will never scuff another drive in Johnson City Country Club Senior Tour. Here we come.
0: Hey. What's the talent?
1: Bow, 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 bow. You hold a slight twenty to eight edge. Six months of old predictions, and that's where we stand twenty to eight. You I'm up twelve. Ahead. You're up twelve, but thankfully for me, because this is such a fair and balanced show, we have rules that make it possible for. So me to So I'm win. Glad, glad you brought parody. that up. I'm we glad you brought parody.
0: it. I'm glad you brought it up. First, give the how the scoring is going to go, so and then I'll give you the the. I'm using one of your rules here. We're
1: going to give a point for each quarterfinal or play and win. Mm -hmm. Two for the next round, four for the round after that, eight for the round after that. So there's not a round after that for the women. There's only four possible in the championship. But eight on the men's side in the championship. One, two, four, eight. How about that? We could both end up with like 40 bold predictions, right? That would make me feel a lot better.
0: So as I went back and listened to a few bold prediction segments, as the leader, you've always made me go first. So as that leader has always gone first, I'm going Mercer on the women's side. Okay, so
1: we should point out that the other person has to take the team that the person selected.
0: So good luck now. with Western.
1: <laughs> Somebody I really flipped that on. I, I did. you know I was going to go first and I was going to take. Oh,
0: I've checked all the first, tapes, buddy. Uh, I went to about 15 shows in a row where you're like, nope, nope, not going first. You're a leader. Leader's got to go first. Here's
1: the brutal part about that. So I've got Western Carolina. Yep.
0: And no, you, got you got no, shot, of go and no, got no change, shot at making it I got no shot at getting those
1: points. Oh, my gosh. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and choose the – uh, next, game, let's just go down the line. I'm gonna go with Sanford.
0: So I got UNCG, then.
1: Okay, you got UNCG. I'm a homer. I'm going the Bucks. You're going with the Bucks. I love that. Uh, sadly, that means I have to go with Wofford. And so I'm gonna go with Furman. And the next round, we can do whatever we want, right? Sure. Because I don't think that we have anything similar anyway. That's so true. I'm gonna go with Sanford over Western because I don't have a choice. What am I gonna <laughs> pick Western to get to the championship? Well, Man, I'll put it, i Absolutely I'll-
0: insane. I'm gonna go Mercer.
1: I got Furman winning it all. Over okay. Seven.
0: Well, now because I had to take Chat, you know I'm taking ETSU over Chat, right? Oh so yeah, that, absolutely. So I've got the Bucks Mercer championship game, and I'm going triple. No, no, I'm going uh, quadruple overtime loss. Mercer wins.
1: Okay. By the way, if the Bucks even get to the championship game, would that this be one of the greatest turnaround? Oh my gosh! In the history oh. of college basketball. One in fifteen. To what to would, make in the championship what game.
0: would? How would your call be on like? We both have a little bit of uh, extra energy. Uh, so, what do you think the first bucket on Sunday, where the Bucks would go up three oh nothing? What would, right. you, what would uh, your energy? They're on be? their way. Yeah. The oh Bucks yeah. are going to take right. the title. Oh oh i yeah. freak.
1: Okay. So now I get to go. I right? will let you. you yep, the, okay. yep. I'll okay. let you go now. Uh, I'm going to go with. Um, oh boy, and it's just so much tougher on the men's side with the first matchup. I'm going to go ETSU over the Citadel.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go Mercer. Yes,
1: and see, I like that because I, I kind of like Western right now. I think Western's looking good. Um, then I'm going to go, uh, let's see. I'm going to go to the bottom of the bracket, and I'm taking Sanford over UNCG. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, I see what you did there.
1: Actually, no, I'm going to go Furman over Western. Now there we go. Okay.
0: Furman. Because
1: I, I know you want
0: Furman, Furman to get
1: knocked out. Anyway, you're going to take – so it works for both of us. All right, so you got. Uh, so I got Mercer. Wofford. You got Mercer. Over, or well, you got. I guess in those games you can pick whoever to win because we don't have the same thing anyway in the play-ins.
0: So then no, you got. I you, got. I got. So I can take Wofford then.
1: Uh, so you're taking Wofford, so I'll take VMI, okay? Uh, then I'm gonna go to uh, Sanford, so I'm gonna take Sanford, and that leaves you with. Well, U N C G
0: Chattanooga. and you. Bucks. I can't imagine.
1: We were I've gonna go already
0: given you. E T S U's gone. And won championships yep. with that route. so. Yep.
1: Okay. Well, mm-hmm. I I have to mm-hmm. take Chattanooga then. I don't have a choice. Just keep that in mind with the rules, folks. Mm-hmm. I'm not, no, mm-hmm. no, no, don't give me that look. Mm-hmm. I mean, God, it's the rules. Mm-hmm. i got to follow the There's rules. There's no rule
0: you can't take ETSU ever. I didn't, I didn't I'm know just, that. I didn't know I'm that. I'm just saying.
1: Okay. Um, I'm going to go, well, we can go whatever then. I'm going to go Chattanooga over VMI. Yeah, we should
0: have four different teams, right? Uh, yes, correct. So I, gonna, I have ETSU, Wofford, Mercer, UNCG. Right? Yeah, and UNG. I have okay, okay.
1: Chattanooga, VMI, Furman, Sanford. I'm going uh, Sanford-Chattanooga in the championship game, I'm going Chattanooga-Victorious. Wow. I have Sanford. I have Sanford getting to the Southern Conference championship game. Could I have been more wrong in the beginning of the year about Bucky McMillan and Jimmy Gary, the two Coach of the Year votes that I cast? Just blasted them. They were terrible. Teams are
0: going to be awful. Can't coach. Look at
1: them now. In my face. Yep. What we got? Uh, the Bucks over Greensboro. Oh, yeah. the Champions. Here we go. <laughs> you got to love it. Oh, man. One, that's
0: what makes this w- spot. One person is about the team. One person is about a bold prediction. Doesn't mean anything. Whoa, 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 whoa. Doesn't mean anything. Rules Mike Gallagher Mike Gallagher. Rules, doesn't want to be a Buck for life. That's
1: okay. Darn.
0: We know where you're staying. It's spot. Nation. I
1: always love the Southern Conference. Twitter
0: Nation get-away. Preview.
1: Tournament show. It
0: is one of my things. Yeah, well maybe maybe we'll do one more show, uh, where we can go over the crazy eights if you know what I mean. <laughs> Set of the design kit next week. Bucketers for that one!